Hey, beautiful people. What's up? It's Allison. I hope you guys had an amazing, exciting, beautiful, wonderful holiday season, or at least just a quiet, relaxing one. And I hope you guys are raring to go for 2022. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world, but you know what? There's also a lot of really, really great stuff going on in the world. And my guest for this episode of the Allison Interviews podcast is living proof of that. She is none other than Oscar-winning actress Gina Davis, and I am so enamored of this interview because, let me tell you, when I was a kid, Thelma and Louise was one of my favorite movies. Like, not favorite chick flick, but one of my favorite movies of all time, which I'm sure so many other people are absolutely obsessed with that movie. To this day, it's such a part of our pop culture landscape. You hear references to it all the time. And A League of Their Own, Hero, Beetlejuice. I mean, I could go on and on and on. She is just such a terrific actress. Of course, The Accidental Tourist that she starred in, I believe it was with William Hurt and Kathleen Turner, for which she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar in the late 80s. I actually just saw that movie for the first time not that long ago when I was prepping for the interview because I wanted to see, obviously, her Oscar-winning role. And she just has this ability to bring a quirkiness, a naivete, an innocence, but yet something just really dynamic and super smart, almost like clever like a fox quality to just about every character she's ever played, which I love about her. And she couldn't have been more gracious, kind, and just really sincere and a great person. And what I'm really excited about is that we discuss in this interview her nonprofit organization, the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, which I found out about not too long ago. But as it turns out, she's really devoted her life in recent years to this organization and she's created this kind of watchdog organization that watches over content creators in Hollywood and meets with them with science-backed studies that she and her team have either done or acquired that really allows Hollywood creators, and I mean top, top producers, directors, writers, talent, to see where the deficiencies are in how women and young girls are portrayed in the media and on the big and small screen. And it's super important because I can tell you that I am finding anytime I see any kind of misogyny or sexism on screen nowadays, it's just sort of like... Like, I just kind of yawn and roll my eyes, or sometimes I'll just turn off the TV and walk out of the room because I'm just, I am so over it, guys. Like, honestly, I am so over it. I mean, in the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s, you just kind of accepted it for what it was. But ever since 2018, when everything started to shift and women started to really take their power, it's just kind of, it's corny, it's outdated, it has no place in our world anymore. So please stop. Like, If you are a content creator, please stop using misogyny and sexism as part of your recipe and the stories that you are choosing to tell. It's time to say bye-bye. 
And I really wholeheartedly believe that. And it's not about a war on gender. It's not about women being better than men. It's not about any of that. It's just about equal respect and dignity for all human beings. I mean, how do you argue against that? It's absurd. So I have to say that I am so proud of Gina Davis because a lot of the research and studies that her organization have cultivated and acquired through other organizations that they've partnered with, they've actually been able to meet with the top brass in Hollywood and actually change the amount of female characters we see on the big and small screen, what those characters' lives are about, and also the right to be seen on screen for people as they get older, particularly women. I mean, we need to see more women in their 40s and 50s and beyond on screen and not as the punchline or as the character that's kind of like cast aside or laughed at or patted on the head, but as vital human beings that are busy with their careers, that are in romantic relationships, that are sexual, that are smart, that are attractive. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So I'm not going to keep blabbering on and I will let you listen to my interview with the amazingly talented actress and activist, Miss Gina Davis. What are the three major life events that have shaped the human being you are today? Mm. Well, I think... The first one would be having the parents that I did. Both of them were great, but particularly my dad was very encouraging in a subtle way, which was whenever he was doing something, working on the car, shingling the roof, you know, whatever it was, he would have me come along with him just as a matter of course. And so I grew up feeling like there wasn't anything that I wasn't supposed to do, and also feeling very capable, which I've taken into my life. Uh, Let's see, another one would be getting to work with Susan Sarandon, because uh, she Mm. had the most impact of any person in my life. Because I, I never really had spent time with a woman who moves through the world the way she does. And it sounds crazy to be 33 or whatever I was, but I really hadn't yet met a woman who didn't preface everything with, well, I don't know what you'll think. And this is probably a stupid idea, but, you know, she just really, yeah, she just interesting lived her life and said what she, this is what I think. And uh, just to have three months exposure to that was, uh, was amazing. And then uh, obviously the third uh, biggest impact on my life was becoming a mother. Okay. Same here. Yeah. So with the Susan Sarandon things, when you watched her move with such confidence, I'm assuming on the Thelma and Louise set is what you're referring to. How was that received by male co-stars, producers, writers, the director? As completely normal, completely normal, which was also stunning to me, you know, because I was just part of the way I was raised to be extremely polite, but to a fault. But, you know, I was I was sort of trained not to ask for things or, or anything or be any trouble to anybody. And she obviously wasn't. And so she just said the things the way she wanted to say them. Let's cut this line or let's do it this way or, let, you know, this is what I'd like to do. And nobody, there wasn't any reaction whatsoever from anybody of like, wow, she's 
partly because she didn't present herself as combative. It was always just, this is, this is what I want. This is what I like. This is what I think. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And I love the fact that you said your dad didn't place any limitations on you. Do you have brothers? I do. I have an older brother. And he, of course, did all that stuff as well with my dad, but, but I did too. So there was no difference in the dynamic between how your dad related to you in that way and how he related to your brother. Yeah, I don't think so. No, I don't think so, because he didn't at all seem to have the impression that I should just be learning stuff my mom would teach me. You know, Mm -hmm. it was just uh, very natural for him to include me in everything. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So just to unpack the third one you said about motherhood, because I know for me, when I had my son, you almost feel like you're being thrust into a new dimension of existence. Like the person you were before just doesn't exist. You're like reborn in a new way. I mean, did you kind of feel that? Was it a subtle shift that you felt? Well, I don't know that I'd say I felt reborn, but it certainly changes your life dramatically. And I clearly had my daughter first and clearly started seeing the world through her eyes. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it's just been magical. I want to talk about the Oscars and your Oscar win for The Accidental Tourist, because I think that so many actors and especially actresses see that as their ticket to being treated as an equal in the film industry. So if you get that gold statue, you are now an equal and you're going to be treated with a certain level of reverence and respect and you're going to get really great substantial roles and you can sort of just like exhale and just relax into it. Was that your experience where you felt like, okay, I've arrived? Or did you still feel like you had a lot to prove even after the Oscar win? Well, I didn't ever think this is my magic ticket to equality, <laughs> doing everything I want to do, you know, I'm at the top of the A-list or anything. I didn't think of it that way, but I did unexpectedly feel a tremendous feeling of having accomplished something that, in other words, I thought, well, I got that out of the way. Uh, so I was like, I never have to wonder if I'm ever going to get one of these things. <laughs> I, yeah. I well, they didn't have it. the term bucket list at the time, but I think that, yeah, I hear yeah. you. Absolutely. I was like, wow, I got this out of the way early. That was cool. But did you still feel like you were, because I know that philosophically speaking and humanly speaking, everybody has this vision of when I get this, I'll be happy. Or when this, whether it's like getting married, winning an award, making a certain amount of money, becoming a parent, whatever it is for people, it's like, oh, when I get this, I'll be happy. When I, when I get this, my life will be good. I mean, are you one of those people who sees life that way? Or do you really kind of believe in the journey? Of oh, yeah. I'm more of a, a journey person. No, I haven't been in my life clamoring to find the next thing that will make me fulfilled. I'm, I get a lot of fulfillment from what I do and just my life. But you know what? Speaking of the Oscar and does it you know, change how people see you and everything? I had two directors after I won the Oscar who... I had a rocky start with because they assumed that I was going to be, think I was all that. And they wanted to make sure that I sure didn't feel like I was all that. Wow. So, yeah. And without even having met me or spent time with me or anything, they just assumed I was going to be like, well, now nobody's going to tell me what to do or something, you know? So it's a kind of like go out of your way to let people know you were down to earth. Well, I just am. <laughs> I just am. Yeah. 
But I'm okay. saying like a, a male actor, I don't think would have to kind of prove that he's still nice and down to earth and all that kind of stuff. And maybe, yes, I think it may be because I was a woman that the directors felt like, I mean, maybe it's even unconscious that they wouldn't realize they would do it to a woman, but not a man, but they didn't want a woman to potentially cause them any problems, you know, and I wanted to make sure that I knew my place. I think you're right that it probably wouldn't happen to a man. Yeah. So tell me what we already spoke about working with Susan Sarandon, but just in general for you, tell me what doing the film Thelma and Louise and then the success of it all, what that did for you, both as an actor and as a woman. Well, it was a script that I read after it had already been cast. I was like, oh my God, this is the best script I ever read. I wish I could be in it. And uh, I ended up having a year long pursuit of the role because Ridley Scott was only the producer at that time and different directors and sets of Thumb and Louise's were you know, coming together and falling apart. And so for a year, my agent called Ridley's office once a week to say, oh, wow. Just so you know, Gina's still available. She's still interested. <laughs> so then when he decided he was going to direct it, it was, you know, he immediately said, yes, sure. Okay, I will. Mm-hmm. I will meet with her. And, uh, and I convinced him somehow or other. <laughs> well, you're saying it was already cast. Who was supposed to play Thelma originally? You know, I don't know who was the Thelmas in the pairings. And I, you know, I'm not going to bring up who it was, but there were three sets that I know of before it was us. Wow. Yeah. Way to play hard to get. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about male and female pairings in films. So normally you would have, let's say it would be a common thing to have a 50 year old or even a 60 year old leading man opposite a 30 year old leading lady. And that's just kind of the norm. And that's what our eyes are kind of used to seeing. I know that kind of sucks, but How do you feel about when an older woman is cast opposite a younger man? Do you think that that's like a win or what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's see. I mean, in Devin Louise, they cast Brad Pitt to be my sort of uh, boy uh, toy. Love interest. (laughs) Love interest. And, uh, and, you know, it wasn't actually because he was younger, like that they purposely were trying to cast someone younger. He just auditioned the best and was the best choice. But I thought that was, that was pretty cool. You know, I mean, he's only like seven years younger than me, but I thought that was quite cool that they did that. Well, why do you think our eyes, like it almost like we're societally conditioned to look at it sideways if the man and woman are exactly the same age. Like if you put a leading man who's 50 with a leading woman who's 50 or even 45, like I feel like that would almost look odd to us because we're so brainwashed. It's very strange and so, so prevalent. I once, the male actor that was making a movie said that I was too old to be his romantic interest. And I was 20 years younger than him. Uh, You know what? You know what it is? Women peak in their 20s and 30s and men peak in their like 40s and 50s (laughs) as far as actors go. And so the male stars of the movies want to seem to appear younger than they are or want to, you know, appeal to younger people. And so they always want a co-star who's really young, I guess, you know, to make them seem whatever. But but that's why that happens. And that's why women don't get cast very much after 40 and 50 is because they're felt to be too old to be a romantic interest. 
Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's interesting. I found out about the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media. Wanted to make sure I got that exactly right. I actually found out about it through a friend of mine who's an actress. Her name is Aza Fatima. She did a film called Americanish, which is actually about Muslim Americans and their experience living in New York City. Wow. And I think actually, I don't know if I saw a red carpet picture with the two of you. And I don't know if it was at one of her screenings or I'm not really sure what it was. And I said, huh, that's interesting. And then I started clicking around and I actually found your website. Oh, yeah. Okay. So tell me what inspired 
you to create the Gina Davis Institute on gender and media? Is it, it was, one thing or many things? Yeah, I know it was one very specific thing. Well, I mean, I'd had my awareness raised of how women are represented in Hollywood by being in Thumb and Louise and seeing the reaction. It was so extreme if people recognized us on the street or whatever. And it made me realize, wow, you know, we really give women so few opportunities to feel like this after watching a movie, to be able to identify with the female character and live vicariously through them and whatever. So I'm going to pay attention to this and try to choose roles that, you know, make women feel good. So I had a very heightened awareness of all of this. Then when my daughter was two, I sat down with her to watch preschool shows and G-rated videos and things. And from the first thing we watched, I immediately noticed there were far more male characters than female characters in a preschool show. I was like, what wow. are we doing? Wait a minute. This is 21st century. How could we be showing kids an imbalanced world? And I saw it everywhere in movies and TV. And I didn't intend at that moment to launch an institute about it, but I found that no one else in Hollywood seemed to be recognizing what I saw. And I talked to lots and lots of creators who said, no, 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 that's not a problem anymore. That's been fixed. So that's <laughs> when I decided I'm going to get the data because I think I'm really right here. I'm going to get the data and then I'm going to go directly to the creators of children's content and share it with them privately because I know this is unconscious bias at this point. And so that's what I did and that's what we've done. Did you think that after the success of Thelma and Louise and the feedback, did you feel like, okay, the barn door has been blown open. We're going to see female driven stories now. Like, did you think that that was really going to just click with studio heads? And were you kind of disillusioned when it really didn't happen like that? Because even when you look at the movie Bridesmaids, right? I remember the comedy Bridesmaids that came out several years ago, even those women said they didn't want to make this movie. It wasn't until the success of that, that it was like, okay, maybe we'll make another one. Maybe right. we'll make an, you know, you know what I mean? Right, right. Oh gosh, yes. So what happened was when it really took off and struck a nerve, the press all in one united body said, this will change everything. That was all the headlines. Now right. everything is going to change. There's so many more movies starring women and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hot dog. I'll just sit here and wait for this to happen. And then my, my very next movie was A League of Their Own. And a mm -hmm. similar thing happened where all the press said, this changes everything. Now we're going to see so many female sports movies now that this yeah. giant hit, you know, it was a very big hit. And I'm going, okay, you know, here's me being able to change the world right? <laughs> or being part of movies that will change everything. And it profoundly did not happen. And, and then I started to notice every four years or so, a movie would come out where they'd say, this one is going to change everything. Like First Wives Club was very big mm -hmm. where they said, this changes everything. Now we're going to see movies starring 50-year-old women right and left. Didn't And then it didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen, didn't happen. But I remember reading about when Bridesmaids came out and the thought before it ever came out was if this fails, it will destroy movies for women. <laughs> Damn, man. No pressure. No pressure. And, uh, <laughs> it and went gangbusters, so. Thankfully, it was a giant hit, but that still didn't fix everything at all. You know, it's still people in Hollywood are still resistant to the idea, even though, you know, my institute found, I believe it was 2017 and 2018, movies starring women made more money than movies starring men. 
Interesting. Um, there's been blockbuster after blockbuster starring women, and it's about time to, um, you know, get with the program. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So tell me how you're getting your organization's data into the right hand. So you're doing, you're getting like what I would call evidence-based information. So it's not just anecdotal. It's not just like, well, see, this movie was a hit. You're getting science-backed, evidence-based information and data. And then how are you going about getting that into the right hands? Right. Well, my thought from the beginning was, since I'm in the industry, I can get meetings with all the people that I want to share this with, you know, with all the creators and everything, so that I didn't have to try to influence the public to rise up and demand this. I could go in a very friendly way privately with my colleagues and mm -hmm. share the information with them. And the universal reaction when people first hear it is they are stunned. Their jaws are on the ground. They cannot believe, especially for people that make kids entertainment. They can't believe they weren't doing right by girls. So the combination of seeing the data to prove that there is a big problem and then realizing they want to do right by kids has sort of been the magic formula to creating change, which is very exciting. Which makes so much sense, right? Because it's almost like we're kind of fully cooked, right? Like It's like we're going to do what we're going to do and you can only make adults budge so much, but if you can influence the next generation, and if you can get to the creators of kids programming to influence the next generation, then you've really got something because they're open. You know, it's so interesting too, because as I've been watching children's programming with my son, he's now 12, so not really oh. children's anymore. But when I was watching, was it Nick Jr., Disney, all of that stuff throughout the years, even Nickelodeon, I was seeing really interesting progression in kids' content. Everything from the way girls are presented to the way interracial families are presented to LGBTQ. There's so much stuff that's being worked into the content to make a new generation of kids really open to the concept of equality. Mm -hmm on a whole other level, which I'm really proud of. I personally think it's some great progress that's happening. Oh yeah, there definitely yeah. is. In fact, we have achieved one of our goals, which was to uh, get to parity with the lead characters in children's and family programming. And uh, just last year, we did reach that milestone of uh, being 50-50 male-female in both of those media. So yeah, we're very... Uh, we're very thrilled about that. We have other goals, but that's a big change. The first study we ever did way, way back in the beginning, female leads were 11% at that really? time. And now it's 50%. Yeah. Wow. Yay. <laughs> so you have three kids, two boys, one girl, correct? Right. right. So tell me, I mean, it sounds like I know that you said you were raised to be extremely polite, but yet there's an interesting dichotomy there. So you were raised... I call this the disease of politeness that girls in my generation, your generation that we were kind of infused with, but, right. but yet at the same time, you were also, your father was quite inclusive mm -hmm. in a lot of things that were traditionally male, which is interesting, but tell me in what ways you're raising your daughter similarly to how you were raised and in what ways you're raising her differently than how you were raised. Well, it's all been quite different. I mean, she was just born the way she is, which is very self-confident, 
poised. You know, I will never be as poised as you are uh, <laughs> when you're 10. You know, it's, it's like incredible. But yeah, it was, it was different in that, particularly that I wanted to be her popular culture literacy educator, you know, to make sure that, and that's why I started the whole institute was I realized when I first saw that first program, I was like, oh no, kids are being raised from minute one to accept that men and boys are more important than women and girls. I can't prevent her from growing up knowing that women are thought of as second-class citizens, but I'll do everything I can to change that for her. And so with her and my boys, I did the same thing. I, I always watched with them, whatever they were watching, like you did with your son. And I could say, did you notice there's only one girl in that whole movie? Did you notice that? Or do you think girls could do what those boys are doing? Or, uh, you know, why do you think she's wearing that if she's going to go rescue somebody? Don't you think that's strange? And they, they uh, became very savvy, actually. They really wow. did. They, they started noticing before I did. So that was great. Well, what's really cool is that they were actually interested in the questions you were asking, actually receptive to it. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that you raised your boys to be, I guess I would say, very conscious young men in terms of how to treat women, how to view women in society. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yes. I mean, that's the thing, you know, it's not just for women that we need to show more women on screen. I mean, my goal is to have the fictitious worlds reflect our actual culture, which is 50% female mm -hmm. and 40% people of color, 20% with different abilities, 40% are heavy body types. And the, the representation of people with different gender identities and all that is so infinitesimal, it's barely registers. Well, what's so interesting is that society kind of goes in a loop, right? So you've got You've got reality, then you've got art, and then you've got people looking at art and then incorporating that into their reality. And it kind of goes in a circle <laughs> like right. that, right? right? Because think about how many people are influenced by television, film, music, and then that influences how they show up in our culture, right? And then that shapes, quote unquote, reality. Right. Yeah, it's so crazy. And that's why the way art is presented is so crucial. Right, right. Because we're actually, you're actually shaping reality and perception. It's crazy. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you think these are just harmless entertainments, but they cause tremendous change and change that we have measured. Like Fox asked us to do a study on the Dana Scully character from X-Files to find out what impact she had on women going to the STEM careers. Mm -hmm. And we found that 58% of women who are currently in STEM jobs name that character specifically as their inspiration to go into a STEM career. I mean, that's Amazing. just one character on one TV show. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really incredible. It's mind-blowing. It is. In 2012, girls' participation in archery shot up 100% and became the most populated category of men, women, boys, and girls. And it was because Brave and The Hunger Games both came out in the summer of 2012, and girls left the theater and bought a bow. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Truly Amazing. So the women over 50, the right to be seen on screen, that was a study conducted with Next 50 Initiative, correct? That's right. 
Okay. So if you could just quickly sum up that study and how that's being presented to the entertainment industry and what you hope to accomplish with that. I hope to accomplish getting more jobs. No. <laughs> oh, it's not for me. It's for me. I mean, you can tell that there are very few parts for women over 50, but we found that, first of all, characters over 50 are 20% of characters on screen. And so that's pretty low. I mean, how many people are over 50, you know? But women are only a quarter of those characters. So women over 50 are 5% of characters on screen in film and television. And even those that are commonly cast as supporting characters in minor roles, less likely to be developed with interesting characteristics or certainly to be romantic interests. And so, yeah, we're using our same philosophy of working directly with the studios and networks to get them this information and share it with them and encourage them to make some change. So I think this will be very impactful. Has it been provided to them yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've sent it to everybody. And what about the feedback? Great feedback. Again, surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Again, did not know it was unconscious bias. So we're, you know, looking to see some uh, important change happen. Well, I want to thank you, Gina, for your time and generosity and for being so awesome. (laughs) And best of luck with everything you're doing. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. It was a pleasure. Have a good one. Take care, Allison. Bye. Okay, bye. So I hope you guys got a lot out of this interview. I hope it was not just entertaining, but super informative. Gina Davis is such an American and Hollywood icon. She is such a gem of a woman and such a talented actress. Like, I bow down. (laughs) I'm so honored that she actually took the time to do this interview with me and to tell me about her nonprofit organization, the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media. It really meant the world to me, and I really hope that it had an impact on you and maybe made you think a little bit and think about some of the content that you watch, whether it's online, whether it's on a streaming service, a television network, on film, whatever it is. And I hope that you guys will be activists in your own way and just demand more and better from the content creators of the world and really see that more diverse people need to be seen on screen. So whether it is gender, whether it's sexual orientation, whether it's age, whether it's a certain body type, or whether it's somebody with a certain disability, we all have the right to see ourselves on screen and in the media. You know, I think that that's something that just means the world because like I said to Gina, it's sort of like this loop. It's like a feedback loop, right? So you've got reality and then you've got what you see see in art and then what you see in art kind of filters into our collective psyche and into our collective culture and then it affects how we all proceed in our lives and how we feel about ourselves and our neighbor and the world around us and what we're possibly capable of accomplishing and then that helps to further shape our reality which in turn helps to shape how people create art (laughs) and creative content so it really is this giant loop and in order to create something that's going to really bring the ball forward and really move our culture forward in a positive and productive way. We all need to be activists in this regard. So really check out the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media. You can visit the website at cjane.org. That's C as in S-E-E, jane.org. You can get involved in any way, either just by reading their research or maybe getting involved in your own community, reaching out to content creators and letting them know how you feel and that you want to be represented on screen and in different forms of media. Believe me, it helps and it makes an impact. 
So anyway, I love you guys. Let me know what you think. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a review. And I love to hear what people think about specific episodes. But whatever platform you are listening or watching on, please give me a like, give me a subscribe. And I so appreciate the support. And I will catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.